0: We are in a season that the church calendar calls Lent, and Lent um, is a time in the church where we reflect upon our lives. And here's what I mean by that. Um, We all use mirrors, right? Imagine a world where mirrors didn't exist, where you could not view your physical reflection. I know the anxiety in the room just went up a little bit. We all use mirrors to check the fit out and see if our hair is good and the makeup is good and the nose hairs are trimmed and so forth. If I didn't have a mirror, I'd be up here with like lollipop stains on my shoulder and uh, orange fingerprints from goldfish that my kids have been eating. The amount of times that I have gone out somewhere and walked into a bathroom and realized there's like snot stains all over my shoulder. So mirrors are very helpful, why? Because they allow us to view a physical reflection of ourselves. And this is what Lent precisely calls us to do, is except Lent calls us to view, uh, to reflect on our lives spiritually, to look within ourselves, to see what are the areas in our lives that have kept me from Jesus, what are my, attach- uh, what are my attachments, what, have my, what has my affection, and what are the things that God is calling me to step into. During Lent, our cry, our prayer is the same as a psalmist that says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there's any anxious thought. know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, God, look within me. I give you permission to look within, to show me the areas where I'm flawed, to show me the areas where I'm broken, to see areas of my life that keep me from you, the busyness, the fluff, the schedules. This is what Lent is all about. Lent calls us to look within ourselves, to view the areas in our lives that keep us from Jesus. And we started off uh, this journey a few weeks ago by asking us, all of us together as a community, to give some things up and to take some things up. And so many of you have been following with us online or on social or on our uh, Lent page, on our website. Some of you have given up food for a short period of time. Others of you, social media. Some of you have been following our daily prompts and so on. I want to share a story that I heard from a parent this week uh, that was so encouraging to hear. And here's uh, here's a note that I got. It said this, after your first sermon of the series, We sat at our dining table and discussed Lent as a family. We wanted our kids to not only participate, but to also understand the intent behind Lent. After each of us shared what we planned to give up, we also shared how we thought we could replace that time by focusing on God. Our 12-year-old son said that he thought he could start reading the Bible daily, and so we agreed with that. The conversation ended shortly afterwards without us discussing any real plans for him to implement this idea. A week later, we discussed it further. I asked our son if he remembered what he said about reading the Bible. To my surprise, he stated that he'd been reading it daily. Every morning, his alarm goes off at 5 a.m. He gets dressed for school. The next thing that he does is read a chapter of the Bible. He has been doing this on his own. We were shocked but at the same time thrilled with his devotion. We're grateful that our church is observing this season. We have been able to see our son alter his day in a small way that could very well have a huge impact on the rest of his life. What, a, what an amazing story of a 12-year-old middle school or taking up some things in their life. And I'm so proud of our church and encouraged by some of the stories that I've been hearing of many of you following us in this journey with Lent. And um, if you've been doing it, I want to encourage you to keep going. If you haven't started, uh, there's no better time to start than now. I'd encourage you to uh, consider what does it mean to follow Jesus? What are the things that he's calling us to and what are the things that keep us from out what he's called us to we all have a next step to take doesn't matter if you're a 12 year old or the lead pastor of the church all of us have some next steps that we need to take in our lives and during Lent we look within to see what are the areas of that we can continue to draw closer to Jesus. Ultimately, Lent is a season where we create space to be intimate with Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, uh, because I think right uh, about the middle of this journey of Lent, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of what this is all about, what it means to be intimate Jesus, uh, to be intimate with Jesus, what it takes to be with God and to know God. And there's really work involved in that. And that might be uh, uh, difficult for some of you to hear, but there is really work that's involved. For example, the teenager, the story that I just mentioned, he's sacrificing some other things at 5 a.m. so that he can spend time in God's word. And so this is what it means to be the people of God. We structure our lives in such a way that we put aside things that distract us and pull us from Jesus so that we can be with him. And you're going to hear me say this over and over during this journey in Lent because Lent at times and at times has been a religious activity and so there's one portion of people within the church that would take Lent and view it as this religious thing that you do so you do these things for God and then you earn God's favor or you might even bring about some spiritual pride in you where you start to share with everyone all the things that you're doing Uh, but Lent really is not about doing anything to get anything from God Lent is really about us being with Jesus and looking within to see what are the things that we need to give up, what is the work that we need to do so that we can be intimate with Jesus, but I think there's a problem, I think there's a tension that we have with Lent. I think there's a few people within the church that might view it in this legalistic way, but I think the problem uh, within the church in America today is not that we do so much and we become legalistic, is that our new normal for following Jesus is being just doing the bare minimum. Just doing just enough to get by. And so I want to dive into that this morning um, because this is something that Christianity has faced for centuries. There have been Christians over time and some Christians today, and none of you here this morning are watching online, but there's some people that don't think that there's any work that's required to be a follower of Jesus. That there's any work required to be a follower of Jesus. They just say that God loves me just as I am. And I love God and that makes me feel good and that's what this is about. If God really loves me, then he would let me do whatever it is I want and I just kind of float through life. And if you've been in church for a little bit, maybe even you, can, you can even back that up with some language from sure, like Trey read earlier. You can say, you know what, if my salvation... Me being in eternity with God is not based on my merit, uh, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. It's not based on my work, but the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Then why do I really need to do any work? Like, why are we doing Lent? Why are we giving things up and taking things up? All this seems ritualistic and legalistic and just seems like laws and rules that we have to follow. Why are we doing this? So if you've ever asked yourself that question, you're not alone. Because for centuries, many people asked the same question. And and when Christianity first began and began to spread and explode, there was this group of people that believed this. During the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther gave a name to these people. And he labeled this term antinomianism. Everybody say antinomianism. Here's what this means. uh, he, He put this word together, this term together, and it's based out of two different words. Anti, which means against, or nomos, the law. So these are people that are against the law, and what they basically believe, and you might see some of these people in the modern day church, and maybe even preaching from the stage on some churches, but because Jesus did away with the Old Testament law, because the finished work of Jesus is sufficient for salvation, then any moral laws, religious duties, creeds, rules, standards are unnecessary, and God doesn't really weigh them. That's what they believe. So these folks, they know about God, and they might even know that God loves them, and that Jesus died for them. But they don't really think that you need to do anything beyond that. So they might go to church on Sundays and look their best. They might even work at churches. But when it comes to real duty to following Jesus, discipline or discipleship, which basically is a religious word that means to be a follower of someone, in our case, Jesus. They just don't see that there's really a requirement to do work on our end. And here's what I would say to that group of people within the church. If you viewed Christianity just as a religion, then I think they might be onto something. And here's what I mean. Religion, you can define it as this. It's humanity for centuries, thousands of years, humanity's pursuit of a higher being, a God out there, To follow rules and regulations to earn the favor of that God and the blessing of that God. And so in religion, you follow certain rules and laws, and God may smile down at you if you do the right things, or he might wag his finger at you if you do the wrong things. And so if Christianity is just a religion to you, then you can say that all the boxes that you needed to check off have been checked off by Jesus. And so you can say, I'm good. The problem is Christianity is not a religion. Robert Capon, an Episcopalian priest, he says this, Christianity actually declares the end of religion. And here's what he means by that. Every other religion in the world The God of the universe remains at a distance and humanity looks up at them and follows rules and laws to get their favor and maybe even slide into heaven at some point and that's the way that they view it. But the gospel, the good news for us as Christians that we believe it, is that Jesus did away with religion. He stepped into our world, gave himself up for us because of his love for us. And the Bible says that Jesus came not to get rid of the law, but to fulfill the law. And this is important. He came not to get rid of the law, but to fulfill the law, which means that there was a certain criteria that you and I had to meet to have a right standard with God. Jesus didn't come to erase that criteria. He met that criteria on your behalf. That's what the Christian message is. So Jesus rids humanity of religion, and there was a reason for it. Stay with me here. I'm going somewhere with this. Jesus gets rid of religion, and the reason is so that he can have a relationship with you. Now, if this is about a relationship, then it changes everything. It changes how we view our walk with Jesus, how we call ourselves to be followers of Jesus. Because relationships never exist if they're just one-sided. So let's back up a little bit. There are these groups of people within the church that view Lent and maybe following Jesus and rules and standards as being very legalistic. And there's this other group that Martin Luther coined the term antinomians. And there are people that are against all these things and tradition and duty. Now imagine these people that were against the rules and following and standards. Imagine they applied their same logic to the relationships in their lives. All of us are in some sort of relationship. Now imagine... Someone said, you know what, I'm in a relationship with my wife, and my wife loves me unconditionally. And when I put the ring on her and she told me, yes, I will marry you, she told me that she loves me unconditionally. And so that means that there's really not anything I have to do for her because I know that she loves me no matter what. Like when it's her birthday, I don't have to say happy birthday. I don't have to take her out. I don't have to get her presents. And she loves me so much, and it's so unconditional, you have no idea, that I can even go and get with some other women. And um, she may not, you know, it may not be the best thing for me to do, but she loves me unconditionally. I can do whatever it is I want. I don't even have to spend time with her. I don't have to listen to her. I don't have to get to know her. All of us would say that this person was crazy and does not know how relationships work. Yet far too often we apply the same logic to our relationship with Jesus. Here's a core belief of Christianity that I think we need to reclaim in this season is that God loves you and I, but his love was not devoid of action. His love was action-oriented. There was something that he did on his end to show you how much he loved you. He didn't just say it from a distance. Here's how Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates there's an action associated with his love for us. The cross is God telling humanity, this is how much I love you. He demonstrates love through sacrifice, through giving up something. And because he has shown us this love, we in return love him. So the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. God has done away with religion to create the space for relationship between he and humanity. And God in this relationship has expectations. Just like all of us have expectations in the relationships that we're in. Jesus would tell his disciples this, John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments if you love me keep my commandments if you love me if this is an actual relationship then i am calling you to me to keep my commandments to love me to love others to follow my plans for your life and this is what this season of lent that we're in is all about of time of being intentional with our lives so that we can prioritize making room for the things of god We're not trying to earn God's love in this season. We're not even trying to see if God is committed to us. God has already demonstrated that for us. But in this season of Lent, we are looking in a spiritual mirror to see are we actually committed to Him? That's the question that we ask ourselves during Lent. And during Lent, we might even ask ourselves this very basic question Do I love God? Do I love God? And that might seem like a drastic step to take in your life or wherever you're at in your journey with God to just ask that. And some of you might say, well, of course I love God. I've walked with God for generations and generations, and I've seen God do amazing things, and I've experienced his love. He's been with me through difficult parts of life and joyful parts of life. And maybe there's another group of you that might say, I think I love God, but you're making me question it this morning. I'm not sure if I should answer yes. And maybe there's another group of you that might say, I think I'm supposed to say I love God. If not, I'm wrong and there's something sinful about that. But I wonder if there's a small group of us that might have the courage to ask ourselves this question. Because Jesus says, if you love me, then keep my commands. I wonder if there's a group of us that would actually look within and say, do I really love God? Does the way that I live my life reflect my love for God? And maybe that's the better question to ask. Does the way that you live your life reflect your love for God? Let's go back to relationships. I love, I talked about this last week, you might hear me talk about this all the time, but I love my family. I love my kids. Uh, They make me laugh. They're hilarious. Uh, I'm proud of them. I'm intimate with them. I can give you a whole list of reasons why I love my kids. I love my wife. Uh, She's better looking than me. She's smarter than me. Um, She's a better parent than me. She has seen me at my worst and my best and still loves me the same. And I am intimate with her too. I can give you a list of reasons, tangible ways I can show you that I love my wife. In fact, tomorrow, I'm already there in my head. I'm trying to stay focused. Help me, God. But tomorrow, we're going on a vacation. My wife and I, just the two of us, without our kids. It's been a few years. And we're going to get away for a little bit. And so there's a whole list of things that I can show you, tangible ways that I can show you why I love my kids and why I love my wife. I wonder if we apply the same logic to our relationship with God, what would we say about our relationship with him? What are the tangible ways that we can say, here are all the reasons I love God. If God demonstrated his love this way, here's what it looks like for me to love God. Here's the thing that all of us need to know this morning God loves you. He loves you. Not the person next to you, not just the person next to you, but He loves you. Despite who you are, what you've done, what you walked in here with, He loves you. And because He loves you, He wants to be in a relationship with you. And because He loves us first, we in return can love Him. And our love for Him requires some things of us our devotion, our attention, a prioritization of our hearts and our lives. And so we ask ourselves this simple question, what does it mean to love God and does the way I live my life reflect my love for God? There's this man named Augustine. He was a church leader in the third, fourth century. He's considered a church father. He was very influential. And Augustine, I think, uh, has something helpful for us uh, when it comes to our love for God. He says this. He says, the problem with human beings, and we can read this quote. He says, but living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things. To love things, that is to say, in the right order, so that you do not love what is not to be loved, or fail to love what is to be loved, or have a greater love for what should be loved less, or an equal love for things that should be loved less or more, or a lesser or greater love for things that should be loved equally. I know, it's kind of like a tongue twister. But here's basically what Augustine is saying. He's saying the problem with followers of Jesus... It's not that we don't love him. It's that we love other things more than we love him. It's not that we don't actually love God. We just love other things more than we love God. It's a brilliant way of putting it. And he says some of us, for many of us, our love is disordered. It's all over the place. We love some things, some of us, that we shouldn't love at all. He says we don't love some things that we should love, He says, some of us, we love some things that we shouldn't love that much. And then he says, some of us, we love things equally when there should be a priority between these loves. And so we ask ourselves to reflect in this season, our spiritual lives, to see where is our love disordered? What areas of our lives do we need to shift our priorities to say, God, I need to create space. I want to create space to be with you, to be intimate with you. Man, you guys can begin to come on up. One of the best ways for us to evaluate our lives, to look within that spiritual mirror, is to see what we've given our time to. What have we given the time that we have to. And I wanna uh, show you this illustration. You guys have probably seen it in like middle school or elementary school. Uh, It's not anything new, you've probably seen it before. But I have this container that I stole from my pantry. I told my wife I'll get it back to her. Um, And then I have um, some other things for you. But this container here represents time. So we talked about a few weeks ago, if you remember, that there's no such thing as mere time but frame time, which means that all of us are bound to time, calendars and schedules like a school calendar, a sports calendar, work schedules, and we are all bound to it. Then last week, we talked about how none of us have unlimited time. We're not going to live forever. At some point, our life will expire. But if we just brought it to the present day, all of us are limited in our time every single day. You're limited to the the seconds, the minutes, the hours that you might have in a day or a week or a month. And this container here represents the time that you have every single day of your life. And I've already filled half of this for the sake of time, so you're not watching me put rocks in for a few minutes. But these little rocks here represent some things in our life that we've filled our time with. Some things in our life that we've gotten busy with. And they're not necessarily bad things. But then there are some bigger rocks that represent more important things, maybe some things that show us that do I really love God and do I really know what it means to follow God? I think the problem is, as Augustine states, we have this disordered love. We have this wrong priorities that some of us have filled our time with things that are good, but they just keep us busy. For some of us, a quarter of our time is on our iPhones, right, you can go back and look at your phone and it'll tell you that five hours a day. Or plus, So some of us, we fill our time with things that take up our time. Maybe for you, it's, it's shopping. Maybe you're a shopaholic and you fill your time with shopping. Some of us, we fill our time with the relationships that we're in. Maybe you're dating or you're pursuing someone, and all your time is filled with this person that you have no time for God or the things of God. For some of us, we just fill our time on Reddit, just scrolling through threads, just seeing what's out there. Some of us... We're on YouTube all the time. We listen to way too much Joe Rogan and we fill our times with Joe Rogan. Others of us, maybe it's video games. You you, you fill your time with video games, but I'm gonna put a few more in because I played some video games in the past. Once you start, it's like the whole night is over. And so some of us, our time is filled with this stuff. For some of you, it's work. We just fill all the time that we have. Things that are not necessarily bad or wrong but they've just taken up all of our time. And then we ask ourselves, do I really love God? And what does it mean for me, for me to be a follower of Jesus? And you might come to church and then you hear a sermon and you might say, okay, I, I, need to start, I need to start reading the Bible again. It's been a while. I need to start doing that. And you might say, well, you know what? Maybe I should join a life group. Uh, but then you start realizing, like, you can't fit all this in your schedule and there's not enough space for all the other things that God has for you. And this is the problem when it comes to disordered love. It's not that we don't really love these things that God has for us. The problem is that we just don't have time for it. The problem is that we love all of these things more than we do the things of God. And here's why disordered love is so complicated. None of these things are inherently bad except if all you do is listen to Joe Rogan, maybe stop a little bit. But none of these things are wrong. Like your family, spending time with your family or the person you're in a relationship with or your work is not wrong. But if your work causes you to miss some time with your family or to prioritize Sabbath on a Sunday morning, then you might have what Augustine calls disordered love. There's nothing wrong with technology. But if all the time that you spent with technology keeps you From just doing some of the basic things, fundamental things of being a follower of Jesus, then you might have what Augustine calls disordered love. And there is an enemy and his job is to get you to believe that because the things that you love are good, then it's okay. His job is to get you to believe and love these things so much That you love them more than you love the things of God. It's what he's always done. Think about the garden. He goes and tempts Adam and Eve, and he says, it's just a fruit. And God created this tree, like, and God knows that if you eat it, you'll be able to see like God. And they're like, I I guess you're right, it's not a bad thing. And so they do it. It's what the devil did with Jesus, as Jesus is in the desert and he begins his ministry. He's fasting for 40 days and he's in a state of hunger. And the enemy sneaks up and says, Jesus, you have the power to turn those stones into bread. And there's nothing wrong with that, Jesus. You have the power to do that. And you're supposed to eat bread, right? Like there's nothing wrong with bread. And what does Jesus respond with? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying, these things are good, Bread is not bad. Physical things are not bad. But these things will make you feel satisfied for a moment. And make you feel good for a moment. But the only way that our souls will feel completed and fulfilled is if on the spiritual end, if we become intimate with Jesus and we prioritize our lives in such a way that we are with him first and foremost before we do anything else in our lives. It's the only way you'll feel fulfilled. And so if we just get our priorities straight, you guys aren't in elementary school, so you get where I'm going with this. But if we just do this the right way and we prioritize, maybe during Lent, it's fasting. Maybe it's giving up some things. Maybe it's giving up social media or Reddit or reading too much or being on YouTube too much or social media or maybe even it's eating some food for some of you. And you realize that all these things, they'll fit in your life. And all the other things. They don't go away. You still have space for it. And if I were to do this for another five minutes, I'm going to wrap it up so you guys get where I'm going with this. This entire jug will be filled up. Not just with the things that God has called us to, but the good things in life. The things that we're supposed to enjoy. The family. the work the technology, the shopping, whatever it may be. All these things fit together, but we have to prioritize our time with God first. That's why I love that illustration because it simply shows you, and I just wanted to show it to you because I hope it is ingrained in your head throughout the season of Lent. As you look at your life to see, what have I given myself to? What are the things that I love? If we were to really ask ourselves this question, do I really love God? Jesus says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. If you love me, abide in me. Be with me. Be intimate with me. If you just back up and look at all the religions in the world, I've been around some of them. I grew up around Hinduism at one point during high school. I considered Islam because all of my friends were Muslim. Christianity, just back up, don't even believe in God. Christianity makes the most sense. You and I have been created for a relationship. And here is a God who doesn't stay at a distance. He comes down and says, I want a relationship with you. And all the things and all the requirements and criteria you would have had to meet, I'm just going to meet them on your behalf by dying for you and meeting the requirement, the punishment for sin on your behalf. Now all I want is a relationship with you. And some of us are just going, oh, I just got YouTube and video games and so and so, such and such things to do that we forget. What this is all about, we're wired for relationship with one another, but most importantly, with God. That's what all of this is about. If you just come and check off a box on Sunday mornings, but you don't know what it's like to be intimate with Jesus, you're missing out. It's all about intimacy with Jesus. It's all about getting with him, not getting something from him. When I want to be intimate with my wife, I just want to be with her. I like spending time with her. It's what our relationship with God should look like. To be with him, Lent is an opportunity for you and I to order our lives in such a way that we can say, Jesus, I love you before I love anything else in this world. That's difficult to say. We should love God more than we love our spouses. We should love God more than we love our children. Because God is the only one that will sustain us and complete us and fulfill us. And when we love God that way, our love for our kids and our family and everything else is totally radically changed that's what this season is all about. And maybe you're at a point in your life where this is difficult for you to do or you're just so busy. You just have so many things pulling you to the left and to the right. When that verse that we read earlier where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. I love that he says right after there, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will give you a helper. And he will be with you. I will give you that Greek word as paraclete or an advocate, an aid that comes next to us and alongside of us when this journey gets difficult. The work that God has called us to is not supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to tire us out. If the work that you're doing to be with Jesus all the spiritual disciplines and spiritual things and fasting and reading your Bible and prayer, if that's tiring you out and if that feels labor-intensive, you've missed the point. Jesus says, come, be with me. Watch what I'm doing. Let me show you the easy rhythms of life, Eugene Peterson translates it. Jesus is telling his disciples in the book of John, the road that I'm calling you... To follow me and to be intimate with me and to follow what I called you to is going to be difficult, but you're never going to do this alone. I am going to send you someone, the paraclete, who will guide you to help help enable you to do these things. And so not only do we have an important work to do as we evaluate ourselves spiritually and say, God, what are the areas in my life, like the psalmist writes, search me and know me. Where have I given myself to? What have I given myself to? Who have I given myself to that I have no room in my life for you? We also can be at peace knowing that we don't have to do this on our own. And that's the challenge for us as we continue this journey. Maybe this is the first time some of you begin to follow some of those prompts online or look at the fasting guide on our website, whatever it may be. But what would it look like to sacrifice some things for the sake of relationships? God, I love you so much that I am going to create space in my life. And that space for me might be giving up technology. That space might be waking up in the morning and reading scripture. That space might be literally not eating food for a short amount of time if you're able to handle that. God, what are the things that I have grown attached to? that I can just rely on you. That we can say the things that Jesus said, man shall not live by the physical things alone. But by being like this, with their creator. That's the call for all of us. Let me pray for us as we close. God, we thank you that you're not just a God who's distant, that who stays afar. He says, sure, I love you. No, you demonstrated your love for us. Your love had action tied to it. You say, if you love me, if you want to be my disciples, if you want to follow me, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to be with me, to abide in me. May all of us in this season of Lent take inventory of our lives. As we do when we look at a physical mirror may we look at a spiritual mirror to see what are the areas of my life that I am so preoccupied with that keep me just from being with Jesus. So, God, we just come to you this morning. Maybe some of us, we just say, God, we, we're sorry that we made it about all these things. We're sorry that we claimed to love you, yet our love was disordered. There's so many other things that we love before you. God, help me with the strength of your spirit to prioritize you in my life. To put you first in my life. And there may be some small steps that some of you take towards that. To give some small things up, to take some small things up. Maybe for others of you, there's some drastic changes you need to make. This is an opportunity for you to ask God, where is it? The psalmist writes, search me, God. Know me. Know my anxious thoughts. Test me see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting would you just do that in your own space right now as we just create a moment to slow down and our bodies are getting ready to exit the room and anticipating leaving but will we just, just take a moment just to slow down just say God search me search me Lord, search me Father I need to love you. We need to love you more than other things in my life. Help us to be intimate with you. Help us to know you. We can feel fulfilled. We can have purpose. We can know which decisions to make. Know in peace the decisions that we do take. That everything that we do is rooted out of our intimacy with you. That our cup overflows. May we be overflowing as we leave from here. As we spend time with our families, may we overflow out of our time with you. May we overflow in our workplaces, in the gyms that we go to schools that we're at, and we overflow, and we prioritize you. It's in your precious name we pray, and the church says,